Hello, Jays fans, and welcome to a brand new week of the 1620 The Jays podcast presented by Barry Law. I'm John Bishop, and along with Josh Peterson and Connor Happer, we'll take you around the world of Creighton Athletics. We're starting to cross over into seasons now. The winter sports are getting started. Of course, the fall sports are winding down regular season play and headed to the postseason. And speaking of postseason, Russ Pauley, the head women's soccer coach, will be joined by Connor Happer in just a little bit as the Creighton women's team drew a tie on Thursday night with Butler. They will rematch against Butler in a first-round matchup in the women's conference tournament. The volleyball team, of course, is sailing along. They're undefeated still in Big East play. We'll get an update on where their exploits are going to be heading. Josh Peterson will have more with Creighton women's basketball star Lauren Jensen as the ladies get ready for their final exhibition game on Saturday afternoon. And then the regular season begins a week from Monday. And then we will wrap up the program this week and talk with longtime NCAA basketball official John Higgins. There has been a significant change to the rule book in men's college basketball this year. No longer will there be flop warnings. Now every flop will come with a one-shot technical foul. John will talk about the adjudication of that and any other changes coming this season to men's basketball. Of course, the Creighton men will have their only public exhibition game Sunday night against Drury. Six o'clock is the tip-off time, and that game will be heard on 1620 The Zone and 1019 The Keg. Before we turn things over to Josh Peterson and his chat with Creighton women's basketball star Lauren Jensen, we remind you that the 1620 The Jays podcast is brought to you by Barry Law. Your most important assets are your body, your mind, and your future. When those are jeopardized by an injury that isn't your fault, you need to fight back and regain your life. Call Barry Law at 402-999-7777 or visit BarryLawFirm.com. At Barry Law, we fight alongside those who choose to fight back. And now, here's Josh Peterson. Thank you, John. We welcome now to 1620 The Jays, the podcast, a junior from Minnesota, a guard. She had a big-time shot last year, which we're going to talk about very soon. It is Lauren Jensen from the Creighton women's basketball team. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Season's almost here. We got some exhibition games we'll be keeping an eye on this week. L let's just begin. Let's start with the shot, and then we can, I guess, move in and look ahead to this year. How many times would you guess since March you have been asked about the shot that you had last season versus the Iowa Hawkeyes? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> many times. <laughs> Definitely many times. What What did it, it ultimately mean to you, just, of course, given the background you had, returning there, the place that you began your college career? Did it have extra importance, extra meaning, or was it maybe more important to you because of actually what it meant for the season and, and being able to move on to the next round? Yeah, I feel like it had equal importance because of both. Um, you know, obviously, the setting with me going to Iowa my freshman year and then coming back and playing there, going to the Sweet 16 is all kind of a, a storybook, kind of out of a movie thing, which was super cool. You know, you always grow up looking at those stories and to actually like be one of those stories was just so surreal. And then to actually be going to the Sweet 16 and then make it onto the lead eight was just like so, so great. What, what was that like being a part of the first, not only Sweet 16, but first Elite Eight team ever for Creighton. What was it like to be a part of, of that type of run in the NCAA tournament? 
Yeah, it was really cool. Um, I feel like the magnitude and like just how big of a deal it was just being the first team to make the Sweet 16 and then go on to the lead eight. Um, it just really hasn't set in yet. And I don't know if it ever will <laughs> with it being the end of October now. Um, but it meant so much for the program and just to do it with that group of girls. Like it was, it was really a special group and we just love being around each other. And that just made it even more special. Lauren, taking a step back to, to when you decided to, to go to Creighton and, and move on from Iowa, what, what was it, I guess, that, that most drew you in to the university. Of course, you know, Jim Flannery gets a whole lot of praise for how he coaches. You just mentioned the teammates that you played with last year. What was it that, that ultimately drew you to Omaha? Yeah, um, I was recruited by them out of high school as well. And so that was um, a big pull in the fact that I I knew what the program was like. I was familiar with the coaches. Um, I wanted to stay in the Midwest. I'm about five hours from Omaha. I'm from a suburb of Minneapolis. And so it was within the range that I wanted to be in. And um, honestly, like the biggest thing that stuck out like to me when I decided to come here was just the culture. Um, I wanted to go to a place that I was gonna fit not only on the court, but also off the court. Um, that was a huge thing for me because you're spending all, all your time <laughs> with these people. And um, I wanted to go to a place where I knew there was an established culture. And um, I actually played AU with Mallory Brake, who is my teammate now. And so I knew her in high school, Molly Mogensen, who's also from Minnesota. We're, we're super familiar with each other. And so there's a lot of familiarity um, with the program. And I knew what the culture was like. I liked the system. And so it just seemed like a great fit. Was there a moment when, when you started thinking, like once you had already arrived on campus, like this group, it, it, it has a chance to do something really special? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, literally from the moment I stepped on campus in summer workouts, mm. um, personally, like, I felt very accepted, like right away. The first week I had felt like I'd known them for literally been there like my whole freshman year. They're super welcoming and um, just that chemistry and um, those bonds off the court, you could tell we're there and that obviously showed on the court. And then once we actually got into practices and everything, um, there's a lot of pieces that you could see. Um, we're kind of falling into place to have a special season. Lauren, I guess now looking ahead to this season, I wanted to ask you about the expectations. I have to imagine that internal expectations are, are pretty high. What was it like when the AP poll came out and you saw that the external expectations were also going to be pretty high? Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely coming off a season like that, you know, as you mentioned, there's going to be expectations um, on the team as a whole and players and I feel like going into the season, it's just important to kind of keep um, keep the focus on where it should be and try to block out that noise. But obviously there's external expectations, but we also have expectations for ourselves and we have a lot to prove. And I feel like we're all focused and we realize that and um, we understand where we want to be and what we could do. I wanted to ask you that, speaking of things individually, as you look now back on the offseason as it finally comes to a close, what, was there a specific part of your game that you were hoping to improve on? And, and I guess how, how would you say that that development came over the last few months? 
Yeah, I guess um, there's kind of two aspects. So one area that I wanted to improve on was putting on weight. Um, they've tried to put on or put weight on me since I got here. And um, that kind of continued into this season. And so in the off season, I tried to put a big emphasis on putting on weight just to be stronger, going to the rim on defense, rebounding and, and kind of all aspects. And so that was one thing that I really tried to do. Um, and it's been beneficial here in practices this fall and hopefully getting into games now. And one thing on the court that I wanted to improve on um, was just getting to the rim and my handles. You know, I was, um, I like to shoot threes <laughs> and pull yeah. ups, but um, kind of developing more of that driving game. I really wanted to try to emphasize this year. Is there a player that, that you look at, whether it's in the pros or in college basketball currently, that, that you like to try to model your game after, that you like maybe taking pieces from what they do on the floor? Yeah. Um, one player that I would say I really like to watch and just try to take things from is Clay Thompson. Um, he is very fundamental and he doesn't have to do too much with the ball. Um, he creates a lot of shots, but he does it really simply. You know, I'll just give a shot fake or a jab and just kind of let the game come to him. And I feel like his style of play also fits well with mine. Um, and just like the system that we run, um, you kind of have to make plays like that. You know, you're not going to have anyone just like up top dribbling the ball, trying to do a bunch of double moves and go one on one. You know, that's not really our type of offense. Lauren, before we let you go, you mentioned a little bit earlier the, the chemistry of last year's group. I, I wonder how you would describe the chemistry of this year's group as the season is about to begin. It, it's fun, you know, for me just looking up and down the roster, seeing a, a lot of familiar names, of course, but then some new names as well. How, how would you say that the last month has gone just getting ready for this season with the new players and as well as the returning players? Yeah, it's gone well. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we have a lot of returning players. And so that obviously helps having returners on the team. But the three freshmen that we have are also doing great. Um, they've made some really big strides from the summer and even where they were a month ago. And you can see that progression and just how they're being integrated into the offense and the defense and starting to um, play well off of other players and just know what others want. And so it's going well. I feel like we're definitely moving along at the pace that um, that we should be. And so I think it'll be good. Awesome. Can't wait to uh, watch the season. Lauren Jensen joining us here on the podcast. Lauren, thank you so much for the time. Good luck this year. Looking forward to watching you play. Yes, thank you. On Thursday night, the Creighton women's soccer team drew even with Butler and as a result, the Jays will finish in position to play in the conference tournament. They will rematch with Butler later this weekend. Now, for the purposes of this interview, we'll let you know that this was conducted prior to Thursday night's match. But here is Connor Happer with Creighton women's soccer coach, Russ Paul. Thanks, John. Let's talk some Creighton women's soccer this week. And it's been a pretty nice season here for Creighton women's soccer as they have clinched a spot in the Big East tournament. Still not sure about the seeding quite yet. By the time you listen to this, though, Friday morning, they will have played that Thursday night match against Butler and playing for some seeding there. Coach Paulie and I talk about that 
in this interview here, but really some great overarching thoughts on the program, where they're at right now, and what they feel like they can do come postseason play. The Jays are 8-3-6 and six at the moment, uh, but they are in the Big East tournament for the first time since, uh, since the COVID year here. This is good stuff with Ross Polly, Creighton women's soccer coach. All right, more of the 1620 The Jays podcast this week with Creighton women's soccer coach Ross Polly joins us now. They're gearing up for a uh, a postseason run. Uh, coach, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. How's that sound? I mean, you got a you got a spot clinched in the in the Big East tournament already, um, and, and looking for more ahead. Um, how even though you have a big match still to come uh, tomorrow for some seating against against Butler. I guess, how does it feel to say, all right, we can at least relax a little bit? Or is that the case at all? Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to be already in the tournament. You don't want it to come down to the last game. Uh, whether you have to push for a tie or have to push for a win, obviously we're always going to push for the win. Uh, it's just it's just who we are. But with the added pressure, uh, the Big East uh, women's side, it always comes down to uh, these last games and to already clinch uh, before that last game, uh, it's great. Uh, and uh, to begin planning and uh, the excitement of what's going to come in the in the tournament is, uh, is something that we really look forward to. Is it almost work? I mean, it almost works out in sort of a way where I mean, you, you have the Big East tournament on the horizon and a match tomorrow against Butler. Um, for some for some really important you know seating position, you guys get a couple points there, and and all of a sudden you're in a different spot. Like you can get into the mode of playoff soccer basically right now. Is that what you're telling your group? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we have a chance to finish third uh, in the Big East, so that's that's what we want to do. We want to push for the win uh, and and possibly get that third place. Uh, we want the third or fourth place because then we get home field advantage also. And uh, playing at home for us is, is a huge advantage uh, for the way we play and uh, our confidence here in the way we play. And uh, being able to sleep in your own bed and not have to travel is huge. <laughs> so uh, yeah. it, uh, we're, we're excited about the opportunity tomorrow. But, yes, uh, it becomes right now uh, tournament mode. On a on a grander you know sort of program level scale, I guess what does it mean to be back in in the Big East tournament? You're there, um, you know, I guess a year and a half ago in a in a weird season, but uh, I mean just just getting to that point and giving yourself a chance to you know to fight for a Big East championship. Yeah, that's that's why I coach here. That's the the goal of the program is to always fight for championships. The only way you fight for championships is you get yourself in, into the tournament. Uh, and uh, that's our goal every year. Uh, we want we want to have that chance to, to to fight for it, but also we want um, want to have a bigger vision too. We want to play in the NCAA tournament, and uh, you want to put yourself in a in a opportunity to possibly get a at large bid. Um, it'll be difficult this year, uh, but it's possible still. If we go on on a run here and uh, take it through the championship, it's possible uh, that we could get that. But um, it, you know, uh, we always want to compete for uh, the Big East. Uh, we believe, I believe, we have a team uh, that is very capable. Uh, over the last couple of years, uh, I think we've had a team that's capable, but uh, we're getting better every year. Uh, we continue to have more experience, and we continue to add those players that will make a difference. Where's your team at right now? From I mean, from a mental perspective, obviously you're, you're gearing up for some for some playoff soccer. But last week was 
and I heard you talk about it earlier this week, it, it was sort of an interesting week for you guys. Maybe you felt like you left a couple points out there, but then respond, and I sound like you thought it went pretty well, even regardless of the result at Xavier on Sunday. I guess where's your team at right now, and, and can you take – anything from your previous match against Xavier and say okay there's there's really something to build off here and we can we can gain some momentum heading into the most important stretch we have yeah we went into that game at Xavier uh pushing for the win uh and and that's a that's a pretty cool mentality to have going into a a game against Xavier who's very a very good team uh very solid from front to back and uh we believe that if we uh give our best and play our best, we're going to have chances to win games, even against those top teams, the first, second, third. Uh, And so, yeah, we're going to build confidence uh, or uh, energy behind it because uh, we did, we gave ourselves a chance to win, but we just didn't do the job and we just got to get that, that much better, that percentage better inside the box to finish those chances and, and to not give away uh, some, some cheap goals. Uh, And, uh, but that's soccer. You know, it's a it's, yep. it's a cruel sport. You can play very well, and you can still lose. Uh, and uh, the thing is, you got to learn from it. But it's a different feeling because we believe we have uh, the ability to beat teams like that, and even at their home. Uh, so yeah, we're we're moving forward. Uh, we're very disappointed of of not winning the game, or at least getting a, a tie against Xavier. Uh, and and that's our mentality: is we we got to move forward from it. We can't dwell on it. Uh, we got to learn from it. Uh, there's there's things we're going to do better. Uh, we're going to push to do better, and if we do that, then we're we're gonna we have a great chance of of winning these upcoming games. I mean, you mentioned it. Ha- handling the mental side of of soccer is such a huge deal. I don't know if there's a sport like it in that regard where you you can play a game and you know what happens in that game absolutely will not reflect the the final score at the end of it like how do you i mean that that's a thing that's ingrained in kids i think from a from a really really young age of just of just playing soccer but you know to have the results right in front of you at this level it, it, i imagine it can be sort of a challenge to to handle that emotionally especially when there's a lot of pressure and you're getting toward the end of a season it, yeah, it's a it's a massive challenge. Uh, I mean, from as a player, from my youth and with the youth national teams and uh, college here at Creighton, and then pro and major league soccer, uh, you go through so many crazy experiences where uh, there's games that you shouldn't have won that you win, mm-hmm. and there's uh, games that you play so well uh, and you lose. Those games just stick with you. Uh, those games that uh, you just walk away saying, how did that happen? How did we lose that game? But you, you got to move forward. Uh, and uh, I, I just rely on experience uh, because uh, if you dwell on it, uh, you're, you're likely to, to make those same little mistakes again that will cause those, uh, those tough moments. Uh, but if you learn from them, you're going to win more games. You just got to believe in what you're doing. Uh, and, you can't get too high or too low uh, in it, especially soccer. Soccer is a game where, uh, I mean, you you just have to stick to what you know you do well uh, and, and make sure that you're focused at all moments and, and take advantage of the opportunity of today. Uh, and that's what we're looking at tomorrow is uh, we're, we're looking at what a great opportunity uh, to play at home and push for uh, a home uh home field advantage for our first uh, tournament game. 
and 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 we're going to push for that, and we're going to push for whatever we can do to get that. And after the game, uh, we'll see what's next. Uh, and that's that's one of the messages I always give to the team is uh, never look ahead uh, because the opportunity is today. And 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 that if you really have that mentality, uh, then you're going to be more consistent and you're not going to let the outside noise get in the way of what you're trying to accomplish. And, and it'll take the joy out of it too, to be honest. And, and that's what I look for also is, I, I, I mean, soccer is such a, an amazing sport and I love coaching. I love playing and I love seeing these players having success and I want them to enjoy, enjoy it. And I want them to learn from it and I want them to be better uh, from this experience to move into whatever's next for them. So what an opportunity for us right now. Hey Coach, I know, I know you don't want to get too uh, retrospective yet, but looking back on, on the entire season the, and the position that you guys have put yourself into this point, I, I guess has it has it gone as expected or where did you think you'd be after maybe the first couple matches of the season and then to, to end up where you guys are at right now? Is it greater than expectation, less than expectation, or, or right on par of where you thought you'd be? You know, when I look in the beginning, I would say it's it's on par if you look at where we are in the standings. But uh, looking at each game, yeah. uh, we, we really left a lot of points on the table. We, we could be, uh, I think we could have at least six more points right now. And that, some of that is through those, those tough circumstances, tough games, uh, unlucky. Uh, and some of them were just mistakes and, and not taking advantage of uh, putting the goals away or uh, just giving away a sloppy goal. Uh, and uh, so I would say, you know, we're pretty much on par, but the way I see our team, I would say I would, I believe uh, we're a little bit below what we could be or should be. Uh, and, and I kind of like that yeah. because, uh, you know, I have confidence in this group to, to really put the performance together to, put put a run together uh and uh that's a good place to be in you don't want to be in a place where you're 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 lucky to be where you are uh or uh that you know you're just really on a down of uh not performing the way you can perform we're we're right right there uh we can we can really elevate our game i believe uh and that's a good place to be in coming into the end of the season Health-wise, uh, you know, we've been – that's another thing where we've been kind of up and down. Nothing like last year. Last year was just an anomaly of uh, we got unbelievable injuries uh, to our key players, and it just kept on piling on. This year, it's been pretty normal. You have players come and players go, uh, but still, uh, we want to get everybody back healthy, and I feel like we're moving towards that. That's why I want to. I, I want to really have a chance to to move forward and and do very well in this first tournament. This game on Thursday, tournament game, and and push for a run uh, because I do believe we have our players getting back. Well, and then and then you keep going, and, and we'll just we'll leave you on this one. But you, you have the Xavier's and Georgetowns of of Big East women's soccer, and it's you know it's a challenge uh, to play against those teams. I guess. I, you know, you you mentioned it. You feel like your group has a little bit of confidence right now. Maybe you left something out there, and that's not a horrible spot to be in. I I completely agree. But then taking that next step, you know, you got to get through what you you know what's at hand first. But then looking ahead to the Georgetowns and Xavier's confidence is a huge thing. Just to you know, just to be in matches with those teams, uh, and I imagine your group feels at least okay about themselves in that world right now. 
Yeah, I mean, massive respect for uh, those those teams like Georgetown, Xavier, so consistent and getting the results uh, over the last years, and especially Georgetown over many many years. Uh, so you know, we you, we want to be able to compete with them, but not only just compete with them, we want to believe that we can we can take the results yeah. off of them, and and we're getting there. Uh, we're not there yet. Uh, when you get there. That's when it actually happens. So uh, these things haven't happened yet, and that's what we're striving for. Uh, it's not like we have, we're arrogant and, and confident and believe that we can just take those teams at any moment. That's not the case. The case is is we are pushing uh, to get those results against those top teams. We definitely are capable uh, of doing it, but you got to do it. Uh, and it comes down to those key moments and games. Uh, of putting away the chances uh, and and getting on top of teams and and believing in yourself and and uh, and and number one just absolutely going out there and giving your best uh, and giving yourself a chance to get those results and uh, and that's what that's where we're at as a team. It, it's so fun training with this group. Uh, they, they enjoy playing. They don't take anything for granted. They work hard. Uh, they love Creighton uh, and. Uh, are appreciative of everything that we have and we just want to take advantage of that hey coach we'll let you go thanks a lot for the time we, we really can't wait to see how this uh how this plays out for you guys um on the last couple games of the year here uh it's it's been a fun ride this year and thanks for taking the time we'll, we'll talk to you soon much appreciated thanks john back to you thanks connor perhaps one of the most anticipated creighton men's basketball seasons ever starts with an exhibition game coming up sunday night against drury six o'clock is tip-off time at CHI Health Center. John Higgins has been a basketball official for over two decades in the NCAA. He's been to numerous Final Fours. He's one of the more decorated NCAA basketball officials out there. And we had a chance to talk to him earlier this week on Unsportsmanlike Conduct on 1620 The Zone about a significant new rule change regarding flopping and other changes coming to the men's game this year. In the off season, you know, we'll hear about rules being emphasized. I just, you know, did a couple Google searches today to try to remember the timeline of these things in the off season. I wonder how you approach that when it's, you know, learning that, that they will be an emphasis and maybe how you prepare, I guess. Is it, is it a mental thing? What, what, what's that preparation like ahead of a season where new things are going to be emphasized? Well, yeah, you know, we, we go through some summer stuff, uh, with, with all the different leagues. So they kind of get you prepared for for the year, and then you got you know you got you have a case book, a rule book, uh, you have all these different books. But like this year, it's a non rules change year. However, they did change one of the rules, uh, the flopping rule. As you mm-hmm. know, they, you know, you, you think of flopping, you think of soccer, but uh, they they instituted last year, when it was last year, a couple of years ago, about flopping. It warned them, and then the next one would be a class B technical foul and. Now this year, the only um, the, the only rule they did change the one rule, and that's the flopping. Now, uh, now you're going to have have an automatic class B technical foul, and the goal, ball goes to point of interruption, no matter where it's at. So it's not a way you don't get to change. If you have the ball and there you head bob, um, you're still going to keep the ball, but the other team's going to go shoot a free throw. But you know, you go back and you go like every year. You know, you have have you know their their major officiating concerns and you know always have the hand check and the body bumps and the post play and the screenings now traveling last year they they uh they kind of 
They, they changed the traveling rule on the spin play and the step back. They've kind of gone to the NBA step back in the in the uh, in the uh, uh, spin move at the post. So that's that's a little bit different from you know what I've been used to my whole career. But but the game has changed, and that's what how they want us to call it. And obviously the flopping is going to be a big thing because in the past you would get a flop warning. And then after the first warning, if it happened again, then it's a Class B technical fall. Now, no more warning. Once it happens, the other team gets a free throw, and then you know the possession goes back to the team that originally had the ball. How do you like that in terms, and I know what the emphasis is, you know, they weren't satisfied that the warning was sufficient enough and we were still seeing it enough. I've got to imagine there's going to be a huge adjustment made as a lot of folks try to figure out, all right, what's going to be a flop and what's not. How do you like the fact that now the warning's been taken out? You call it, it's going to be a free throw. Right. It's, you know, and it's, it, it is only one free throw. However, Say I've got a, a you know a seventy five seventy five game, and it's you know thirty seconds to go in the game, and the guy flops on you, and it and it costs somebody the game. He called flop technical foul. I guarantee you those co- that coach that got the technical foul against him that gets beat is not going to like that. Now that's going to be tough for us to adjudicate because uh, you on a. a it's something you don't want to decide the game on a flop call, right? Uh, you, you know, but if it's egregious enough, I think you'll you'll have to call it. Um, but it's going to be hard. You will, we'll, I guarantee we get tortured by you guys on the radio, <laughs> sportsmen like guys, <laughs> and then the, and 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 on all the all the uh, social media stuff. They'll it will light up the board. I will guarantee it's going to happen. It will happen within the first week. And you said something that was important. I think it's because when we think about flopping, we always think about the defender who steps in front and then, you know, takes the charge. But you mentioned something earlier. The ball handler could be called for it too by doing the yep. exaggerated, you know, head thrust. Head and, and, and is, is that different from last year? That is there. So, so there's three, there's three flops that they're trying to get rid of. And that's that fake of the dribbler that, uh, you know, acts like he gets hit and he, Throws his head back. That's a, that's a, a you know that could be a class B technical foul flop. The post you know with the offensive offensive defensive foul the, the defense guy flops without any contact. That's that's one. And then the guy shooting in the corner that just falls down acts like he gets hit. Uh, those are the three things that um, we're supposed to be looking at for flops. Um, you know, be interesting. Be really interesting. The, and you mentioned like on the three-point shooter, sometimes, and, and at least one of the things I don't like in the game is these shooters who exaggerate their leg kick and get their legs you know, mm-hmm. kicked straight out there. Would this cover that too, or is that something that's not included? Yeah. Well, that can be called an offensive foul. You could call it absolutely an offensive foul. Okay. Or you could call it a, you could actually call it a unsporting technical if it's egregious enough. John, I'm curious. So that could be. That, so that wouldn't be a class B. It would be two shots and then the ball. That's a different. That's a totally different rule. On that. On that. Sure. Play, it happens a lot more than you think it does. Yeah. John, I, I'm curious as to how you think individually for you. How has replay affected your officiating? It's been such a conversation. It really at all all sports. I think over the last couple of years, and it's been emphasized maybe more in conversations. I guess how how has has it affected how you do your job? Do you think? 
Well, um, it doesn't affect me so much anymore because I don't have that many more years left in my referee career. I'm, I'm getting closer to the end in the beginning. Those guys in the beginning, it affects them a lot because they referee, I think, they referee more to the tape mm-hmm. than they would. And, and, and if they would just referee natural, let it, let it happen. So I, um, I, I don't think about the, the replay. I just got referee and, and do what you're supposed to do and let the chips fall. Um, that's not how it, you know, of course I come in a hundred years ago, it seems like, and, and it's, it, it's not like that with the new guys because they're all used to um, seeing, you know, they'll, they'll all grown up now with the uh, replay stuff. So uh, it's, it's extremely um, different for those guys than it is for me. So I'm, I'm, I just go out and referee like it's, it's natural. I don't, you can't let it affect you because if you let it affect you, in fact, I talked to Major League Baseball umpires about a month and a half ago about this very thing about replay and how it affects them emotionally, you know, with social media and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, if if you let that um, affect how you officiate or umpire a game, you'll never get plays right mm-hmm. because you're just officiating to the tape and you can't, you can't, do that and be good at your job. NCAA basketball referee John Higgins joining us here on Unsportsmanlike Conduct as we talk about some of the new things that uh, we need to be watching for in this upcoming college basketball season. Are there other points of emphasis, not rule changes, but points of emphasis that you know that you and your colleagues are going to be asked to watch for closely this year? You know, that cylinder rule is what you know. It's one of those things they talk about where you get in the you know the offensive guy's face. Or even the offensive guy can get in the defensive guy's space. Uh, you know, the ten one four, the hand checking, uh, the post play, the screening, the traveling. The, you know, obviously the biggest thing is eliminating the flop. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's their uh, that's their biggest uh, thing. And then they, of course, they always talk about bench decorum uh, <laughs> until until you enforce the rule and the coaches hate it. And, uh, and then they, you know, they think you're a bum because you gave them a technical foul, and they take it. They take it extremely personal when we can't. Just and I, I was taught long time ago um, that it's just another call in the game. It's just infor- we're we're enforcing the rules as as written, and and uh, but you know that's that's um, I we I try not to give as many as I used to, but I don't have to give as many as I used to because they know that I I will adjudicate. Um, technical fouls to them now. So, John, no, you're obviously doing you know a lot of tournament games in March. Have you ever had a chance to do one of the NIT games with like where they 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 play around with like the kind of like quarters or a soft version of quarters? And if so, I wonder how you think the flow of those games are versus the traditional twenty minute halves. I've done I've did one of them. I haven't done an NIT game in a few years, but the first year they tried that, I did one of the games and. I didn't really, you know, really didn't make a difference to me. I mean, the games, I think they were maybe a two or three minutes shorter. But as far as I go, it doesn't it doesn't matter, you know, or excuse me, as referees go. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I don't think they'll ever change that just because it's going to be different. They want to be a little bit different than everybody else. They don't want to do what the NBA is doing. They don't want to do what the women are doing. Uh, they want it just to have their own way in that. I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't mind working 20 minutes compared to the 10 minutes. And 
the only thing I mind is that there's so many stoppages in play with the media timeouts. Yeah. Uh, that it, you know, it wrecks the flow to the game. And I just, I, I don't, I don't care for that. But you know, that's what pays. That's what pays us to referee. Mm-hmm. That's what pays us pays those big salaries for the coaches, and I guess now to the players. So where are all, how many assignments do you have already, and, and how do your assignments change from year to year? Are you still pretty much contracted with the same leagues you've been? Yeah, I've got pretty much the same leagues. I go out west uh, to start the year, and uh, you know I'll work out in the Big 12, and I am, however, going to work more games in the Big 10 this year because they um, uh, got rid of their assigner about three, four weeks ago, uh, which... You know, it hasn't been, it's been a little bit ugly for them for a few years in the Big Ten as far as officiating basketball goes. Uh, so I'm going to work about 10 or 12 games in that league, and then you know, I'll, I'll work a lot in the Big 12, and then the Pac-12, Mount West. I'll work some in the Big East. I kind of uh, I'll work a, a, a bunch of different areas. The 1620 The Jays podcast is brought to you by Barry Law. Your most important assets are your body, your mind, and your future. When those are jeopardized by an injury that isn't your fault, you need to fight back and regain your life. Call Barry Law at 402-999-7777 or visit barrylawfirm.com. At Barry Law, we fight alongside those who choose to fight back. As we mentioned earlier, Creighton women's soccer finishes in a tie for third in the Big East standings. As a result, they will rematch against Butler Sunday in the Big East tournament quarterfinals. Interesting stat, Creighton women's soccer, 11 ties in Russ Pauley's first seven seasons as head coach. This year alone, Creighton has seven ties in 18 games. If there is a tie in postseason play, at least there will be some sudden death. So uh, if the game still is tied after sudden death, then they'll have a penalty kick. So hopefully the Creighton women have practiced their penalty kicks because so far they seem to have the tie all locked down. Meantime, the men's soccer team stays in control of their own destiny to make the Big East tournament. They battled to a 2-2 tie last Saturday against Marquette. Jays are now 5-3-6 and six on the season, 2-2-4 two, two, and four in Big East play. The Jays will be back on the pitch Saturday night against DePaul at 6.30. That game over at Morrison Stadium. It will be senior night for the seniors on this year's team. As long as the Jays can stay above the cut line, and they are right now two points above the cut line, they will be in to the Big East men's soccer tournament. The Creighton volleyball team, Two matches this weekend as they continue their four-game road swing. They're at Seton Hall Friday night at 5 o'clock, and then Sunday at noon, they take on St. John's. The Creighton women continue to just tick up the RPI standings in the NCAA. They're up to 15th now in the latest RPIs. They try to improve their resume towards getting, hopefully, a host spot in the women's NCAA tournament. Big East Championships in cross country are taking place this weekend in Highland Park, Massachusetts for both the men and the women. The women's tennis team will be at the Bulldog Classic at Drake over in Des Moines, Iowa. And as we mentioned, the women's basketball team taking on Truman State Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock in their final tune-up for the regular season with the men in their first and only public scrimmage of the year. They're battling Drury Sunday night, 6 o'clock 
Airtime, 5 o'clock on 1620 The Zone. And, of course, all games this season will be aired on both 1620 The Zone and 1019 The Keg, as well as 1620thezone.com and The Zone mobile app. And that'll do it for this week's episode of the 1620 The Jays podcast, brought to you by Barry Law. The 1620 The Jays podcast is a co-presentation of NRG Media Omaha and Creighton University Athletics. For Josh Peterson and Connor Happer, I'm John Bishop. Thanks for listening.